following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. They'll know you've arrived when you drive up in the 1958 Edsel, the car that's truly new from nameplate to taillights. Welcome to the Mid Podcast. We talk about all things mid-century America and around the world. You know, I just love our theme song. I can't get enough of it. <laughs> it's just groovy. Yes. <laughs> I want to encourage you to find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, MeWe. I don't know wherever you happen to go. Maybe I'll put a page up on MeWe. Do you know about MeWe? No. No. MeWe is an attempt at being an alternative to Facebook. Oh. oh. And uh, I joined it two years ago, and I <laughs> visited it for the first time in a year and a half today. So that's uh, <laughs> why so MeWe is on my mind. All right. I'll put it on MeWe. <laughs> but uh, anyway, dude, go find our page, especially on Facebook. We do a lot of interacting there. Email us at midmodcast at gmail.com. That's midmodcast, not the, just midmodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. In a few minutes, I'll give you our phone number that you can leave a message on, but I don't have it handy, so I'm going to have to look it up while everyone else is talking. So do find us on all these different platforms. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and give us a good rating. We really appreciate it when you do that. I'm going to go ahead and throw this over at Dave. As, Wait, I have uh, to introduce ourselves. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm Craig. Wow. Hi there, I'm Paula. And I'm Dave. There we go. Thank you. And I'm Craig. Oh, I already said that. <laughs> uh, we have a new competition that we're working on, a new-ish, I guess I should say. And I'm going to throw that over to Dave to talk about that. And then we have the results from the Charles Phoenix book giveaway. Oh, That's exciting. So, Dave, take All it right. away. Well, our dedicated listeners will remember that way back in episode number five, we talked all about uh, road trips and family vacations, and we interviewed Stucky CEO Stephanie Stucky, and a shout out to Stephanie who provided us with a taste of Southern hospitality gift pack, which I call a snack pack because all road trips and vacations need snacks, and you can be the winner of this hospitality gift pack or snack pack. If you would like to go to our Facebook page and post your best Charles Phoenix slideshow worthy photo of you uh, and your family on vacation. Uh, you can also email it to the uh, email address that uh, Craig just read out a moment ago. Bonus points if the photo depicts a cool roadside stop like you and your families at a Stucky's. Give us a brief anecdote about the photo and then... The one that cracks us up the most uh, will be the winner of the prize pack, the hospitality pack. Very nice. All right. That's midmodcast at gmail.com that you can email that to, or you can also post it on our Facebook page. That'll work also. Paula, we have the 
exciting results of the what is it uh give the mid modcasters a uh, slogan okay. contest i guess it is so take it away dear lady all righty everybody ready for this okay i'm gonna actually read all of the mid modcast slogans that have been submitted and so you can kind of get a taste of them all so here's number one ready <clears throat> i'll use my best slogan radio announcer voice johnny donovan okay, johnny donovan voice yes Go ape for the mid-modcast. It's the most. Mm. Mm. Number two, escape into the last era with style that's fit to print. Fit to print. Number three, a tip-top, terrific, and splendidly prolific waltz down memory lane. Say that three times fast. A tip-top, terrific, yeah, and splendidly prolific no, waltz please, down memory lane. Please oh, sorry. Don't that. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, number four. From Esquival to Eames and Jello with Peas, join us for a snazzy good time. Number five, it's podcast-tacular. And that's podcast and then a dash-tacular. Number six, tune in before the fun and nostalgia run out. Number seven, triple your podcast pleasure with Craig, Paula, and Dave. Number eight, Nothing says podcasting like the Mid-Modcast podcast. Number nine, in living color, if you could see it. Very good. <laughs> Number 10. Oh, that was. <laughs> the Mid-Modcast, where you can hang out with the cool cats. Cool that's cats. Cool cats. That's, All right. All right. Us. The We're top the cool three are. Number one, in no particular order. Go eight for the Mid-Modcast. It's the most. Uh, 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 what was number two? Oh, from Esquival to Eames <laughs> and Jello with Peas, join us for a snazzy good time. And a tip-top, terrific, and splendidly prolific waltz down memory lane. Okay, so that's our top three. What's the first runner-up? Oh, uh, oh, uh, I don't know what the first The one, one with two votes. The one with two votes was, <laughs> oh, okay, yes, right. The one with two we votes. We planned all this before. <laughs> I need to pay attention yeah, to do. the planning sessions. Okay. The, the, uh, uh, in. <laughs> Would you like me to do that? <laughs> yeah. I'm so confused. <laughs> the first runner up is from Esquival to Eames and Jello with Peas. Join us for a snazzy good time. All right. So that's Woo! our first runner-up. The grand prize winner of the signed Charles Phoenix book is... Yes. A tip-top, terrific, and splendidly prolific waltz down memory lane. Woo! And who submitted Sent to us awesome. by Jim Reith, who is our grand prize winner. We will be in touch with Jim and Yay! ask him which book he would prefer, and we will order that from Charles immediately. And it will be autographed. And it will be from the Phoenix autographed by the ambassador of Americana himself. Yeah, not Charles not the ambassador of the Phoenix Club. That's something totally <laughs> no, different. Okay, yeah. all right. Woo! Congratulations, <laughs> Jim, who is also an awesome Facebook fan of the mid -Modcast. Yes, indeed. He is yes. amazing. So thank you. Congrats, Jim. And a big shout out to all the people who entered the contest. Yes. Uh, we appreciate everybody playing along. And by the way, the winner of the Stuckey's Snack Pack will be announced on episode 10. Episode 10. Episode 10. So you don't have a lot of time. You got to get those pictures get in. Get those pictures in. A-S-A-N-P. Yes. Very good. Today, 
We are talking about television in the 1960s. Well, we did the 1950s, so it makes sense that we would transition into the 60s. Yeah. Uh, I drew NBC, Dave drew CBS, and Paula drew ABC. The networks changed quite a bit at this point. Yes. Uh, given the advent of color television, especially 1957, fans of NBC heard for the first time the announcer saying the following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. And everything kind of changed from there. Uh, television was in transition and also the genre of the genres of television were in transition quite a bit also at this point. Uh, I'm talking mostly about NBC, so I'm going to just kind of give a little rundown. 1960, the first presidential debate ever to be televised was televised on NBC. This is Kennedy and Nixon. And as we mentioned before, Nixon started sweating and uh, he was actually ahead in the polls at this point. Right. And Kennedy had a makeup artist who made him look like he was alive, which helps. Mm -hmm. And because of this, this one program, this debate on television, Kennedy pulled ahead and ended up winning. Nixon always, always said that this is the reason that he, he lost. Of course, uh, I'll also talk a little bit about Laughing later on. That's the show that won the presidential campaign for Suck Kennedy. It to me, Craig. So Suck it to it's me. it's a big big turnaround and as television becomes more and more important in our lives 1964 on NBC the first televised Olympics from Tokyo is sent our way and I don't know about you guys but when the Olympics rolled around every time every 4 years that was quite an event in our house and oh, yeah. boy were we glued to that idiot box both winter and summer and uh, boy, was that a highlight. And of course, who could ever forget a wide world of sports, the agony of defeat, that guy who eats it on the ski jump, <laughs> uh, Olympic gold right there. I mean, that's that he got more fame off of that, I think, than any gold medalist ever, except oh, yeah. maybe, I don't know, uh, oh. Phelps or someone. So anyway, television has become a big part of our lives. And with this, we find a lot of new developments. Race barriers are being broken and all mm -hmm. sorts of different things are coming along. 1965, Bill Cosby becomes the first black actor to have a leading role in a TV series on iSpy. And uh, I'm going to just kind of call it quits there. Oh, Star Trek. Can't, can't let that one go by. Star Trek also breaks all sorts of race barriers oh. and that sort of thing. I'll talk about that a little bit more in detail also uh, as we move along. Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about CBS in the 1960s? Well, I thought it'd be fun to mention uh, a few more um, numbers, Craig, since uh, you gave us a quick rundown there. In 1964, approximately 55 million U.S. households had black and white TV sets, while a mere 2.8 million had color sets. Oh. And since I drew CBS... Um, over at CBS, 50% of their shows were in color in the 1964 season. And we were talking prior to recording. Um, we couldn't decide. Of course, we could have looked it up. But around 66, 67 is about the time that um, all TV shows had switched over to color. So black and white, no shows were being produced in black and white after 1966. Now, of course... 
if you were one of the 55 million households that had black and white, you couldn't enjoy those shows in color. But um, nonetheless, uh, color was starting to take over. And over at CBS, popular shows of the 1960s included Andy Griffith, the Beverly Hillbillies, which were part of, um, they were called the Rural Comedies, which also included Green Acres oh my. and Petticoat Junction. So you guys might remember the uh, the Rural Comedies of the day. The Dick Van Dyke Show was a big deal over mm. at CBS. Get Smart, which Craig, I know you're a big fan. Yes. It also ran on NBC. Uh, Gilligan's Island, Gomer Pyle, um, Hawaii Five-0. The the list is endless. All 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 the uh, networks were running really really great uh, content uh, during the '60s, but the ones that stand out mostly for me are the fantasy and magic-based shows, which were super big uh, in the day. CBS had My Favorite Martian and The Monsters. Be- um, ABC had Bewitched. The, uh, the Adams Family and Flying Nun. Yes. And NBC had I Dream of Jeannie. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And the one I want to focus a little bit on here at the beginning is CBS's number one supernatural fantasy sci-fi thriller show of the 60s. Twilight Zone. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone was an anthology show created by Rod Serling and broadcast from 1959 to 1964. And it consisted of half hour and full hour episodes, which I didn't I didn't realize. I did not know. I thought I thought they were all hour-long episodes. Um Mm. so an anthology show for our listeners who don't know, those are self-contained episodes of their own that are different from week to week, and they usually have different writers, different directors, and different actors uh appearing in each in each episode in each episode the show always opened and closed with serling's narration and themes of the episodes often addressed racism government war and human nature in general Mm -hmm. all of which were new ground uh for a tv show of that era Mm. Ah. often ordinary people found themselves in extraordinary often supernatural situations and episodes usually had a twisty, unexpected uh, conclusion. Yes, yes. Yeah. So a little darker than I think what most audiences were expecting uh, in that in that era. And Paula and Craig, I'm I'm curious do do either of you have a favorite Twilight Zone episode or story uh, that you want to share? Yeah, I I was thinking. Um... One of my favorite episode or one of my favorites, I, I remember seeing it for the first time when I was kind of a young teen and I thought it was so fascinating. It was about these, you don't see this girl's face. It's all wrapped up oh, and, yeah. and they're cause she's hideous and they're trying to do surgery on her. And at the end of the episode, she, they take off the bandages and she's beautiful 
and everybody else is hideous. They're just disgusting monsters. And I just remember <laughs> my heart jumping at the end because you just, they just build and build. And there's so much mystery in that episode because you have no idea kind of what is really going on until the end. And like you said, they, they give you that twist at the end. And the beautiful girl is actually played by the girl who played Ellie Mae Clampett. Oh, from the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. And Miss I remember Ellie. that. So the, I remember that was a particularly memorable episode for me because it was just so shocking and so well done. It's wow. really wonderful, wonderfully done. For me, one of the most memorable, I'm not going to say one of my favorites, but one of the most memorable, of course, <laughs> I love the one with Shatner on the airplane. And oh, yeah. there's so yes. many good ones like that. But this one, yeah. I was a little guy and my oldest brother, <laughs> who's nine years older than me, was watching my other brother and me and my parents were out to dinner and we're watching the twilight zone and the phone keeps ringing and this old widow picks up the phone and there's a voice of a man on the other end saying something like come back to me or something like that i can't remember exactly what it was and this keeps happening and the the tension keeps building all the more just building 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 finally they go out and they track the line and the, the telephone line goes down into the grave of her husband. They had had a big oh. storm. Oh. And it goes into her husband's <laughs> grave. Right when they revealed that, our phone rang. And I started screaming and running for the hills. And <laughs> someone called. All I don't of remember. You guys jumped. Yeah, I was like, what? And we just like, ah, oh, we, we were just terrified little kids, you know, because the phone rang right then. It's Couldn't time life. it better. It was just amazing. <laughs> So that's that probably is, the most memorable yeah. episode, and it has scarred me to this day. Yes. <laughs> I will have to look that one up. That's great. Yeah. Well, and the other cool thing about The Twilight Zone is that it had a large roster of actors who went on to become famous later. Uh, Craig, you also, you already mentioned the, uh, the Shatner episode, which is one of my favorites as well. It was called Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, and it uh, it is from 1963. And uh, it's about a character played by William Shatner who's um, he's scared of flying and his wife and the flight attendant are trying to calm his nerves. Mm -hmm. And during the flight, he well, I don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't ever seen the episode, but um, definitely check out uh, Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Is there really Dude, anyone who hasn't seen that one? <laughs> right. Well, you never know. <laughs> yeah. We're all about spoiler alerts here, so let's okay. not do that, I guess. Okay. So, you're you're um, such a nice person. It's just really too bad. Any other future famous people you two remember from the show? Oh, gosh. Uh, there's so many faces that just oh. turn up all over the Isn't place. Isn't Burgess Meredith the one who was the bookish yes. guy with the glasses? Oh, that's, that's another great episode, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Awesome. Oh, there, there, there are a lot. Any, any that jump out at you, Dave? Since you're, since you're asking the question, you might have a few thoughts. <laughs> well, I, I, I do. In fact, uh, George Takei, who our listeners may know oh, as ooh, Sulu from it? Star Trek, uh, he appeared in an episode um, called "The Encounter," oh. um, and this one is kind of famous in that it only aired once because it, uh, it had racial overtones and allusions to Pearl Harbor. And it was especially upsetting to Asian Americans at oh the time. Goodness. So it it never it was never in rotation again uh, oh. after that. That yeah, makes me so want to was, see it. For I sure. know, right? Yeah. So that was George Takei's episode. Um, oh, and so this one, Takei gets in for one airing. Right. 
That's he gets oh, too bad. One, one shot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. And then this one kind of cracks me up. Robert Redford appeared once playing the Grim Reaper. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. I do kind of remember that. <laughs> in, an, in an episode from 1962 called Nothing in the Dark. And then just another little handful of names. Cloris Leachman, Don Rickles, Jack Klugman, Peter Falk, and Carol Burnett, just oh. to name a few. I remember wow. Don Rickles in one, yeah. Yeah, some other famous names. So wow. anyway... The Twilight Zone on CBS. Paula, what do you have for us? Oh, talking about ABC. Yes. Um, last episode, I talked about ABC um, being very, you know, the bottom of the heap. They were always the little underdog. So the C the 60s were a boon for ABC because by the end of the 60s, early 70s, they were on top. They were number one network above CBS and, and NBC. Um, but still at the beginning of the 60s, they were still kind of that underdog bottom of the heap. Um, they had that big, I talked about that big alliance in the last episode with Disney and Disneyland. Uh, but in 1961, Disney purchased all of the ABC shares and then it ended their affiliation. Didn't you say that you researched some controversy about that, Craig? Um, that they, they kind of didn't end on good terms. I, I don't remember. I think you texted it to me or something. But they, they kind of weren't really thrilled with oh. ABC and Disney. They, oh, they parted on well, bad terms. Yeah, what I, what I sent you was basically that Disney wanted to do color. And that, ABC wasn't doing color at this yeah, point. Yeah, ABC wasn't oh, ready right. for it. Yeah. So they said, we're out of here. And, 1960, I think it was. <laughs> yes, 61. Right. And then it, so it changed from Walt Disney Presents to the wonderful world of color. So they went to NBC. Oh, that's why you know that, Craig. Because right. you did NBC. So they, they, they ended their affiliation completely and went to NBC because NBC could broadcast that in beautiful color. Um, in 1960s, one of the most famous uh, memorable um, animations, uh, The Flintstones, uh, aired on CBS. On where, what am I talking about? Uh, aired on ABC. <laughs> and The Flintstones was actually in color, but it aired in black and white. They also, ABC also carried Looney Tunes cartoons, Merry Melodies. So they were really the cartoon animation uh, king and queen capital. Um, in 1961, the very first sports anthology aired, and that was the Wide World of Sports, where they mm -hmm. rotated different to a different sport each week. Um, then always they were always in third place, so they thought of a very novel show to kind of catch up. And so in 1963, another animation series, The Jetsons, mm -hmm. aired on ABC. So we, we still are into the animation <laughs> game. Um, one thing I found super interesting, in 1963, General Hospital aired, and apparently it's still going strong. Um, it's oh, in wow. its 50-something season of uh, 57 season on ABC. I thought that was crazy. Wow. 1964, Bewitched and the Addams Family aired. Um, and then by 1965, ABC was airing most of their primetime shows in Wonderful Living Color. Um, 1965, the Avengers, well, actually in 1961, uh, ABC produced a British show called The Avengers, and Dave knows all about that. I <laughs> actually didn't know anything about The Avengers, so where have I been? I'm not sure. And um, it was produced by ABC, but in 1965, it was sold 
to ABC in US. And it became one of the very first British series on primetime. And to, to this day, it's considered one of the top cult shows of all time. Um, and now, I, yeah. Paula, can I jump in and yes, just quickly please. mention to our younger listeners, we are not talking about- oh, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we're we're not talking about the um, the comics, uh, the um, Avengers. Yeah, yeah right. not the superheroes. Not series. the X Men kind of thing. Yeah. There, this is right. the Avengers that was something about kind of a spy do good, but they didn't have superpowers, correct? Dave? No, 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 no. They were they worked for the British government, and they basically tracked down criminals who were doing harm against the uh british government um Ooh. and the main characters that are most well known are uh uh john steed uh played by patrick mcnee and emma peel was played um wow by diana rigg uh so this is not marvel universe stuff this okay. is okay uh, this is british uh kind of spy type show so okay yeah the avengers pretty awesome and for our listeners at home david just pulled that right out of the top of his head He's, he knows he knows his trivia thank goodness we have him here and um i also found this one really interesting they they really were into the tv movies the abc hmm. was so they had this uh, movie of the week i think it was on fridays and they would have these feature length dramatic films yeah on fridays and they had very early steven spielberg David Wolper and Aaron, Aaron Spelling. These are made these. for TV movies? Made for TV movies, a different movie every week. And um, they were actually very, very well done. And I, I can't imagine Steven Spielberg or David Wolper, you know, doing something that shoddy. They did these really, really well. This is a very young Spielberg. At this yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And actually one of their um, movies was so great called Duel. It actually had a theatrical release oh. after that. And they also had one of the movies was called A Matter of Humanity. And it was actually the basis for Marcus Welby, MD, huh. which was ABC's very first show to reach number one in the Nielsen rating. So Marcus Welby was very popular. Um, some of the hit, other later hits of the 60s included The Courtship of Eddie's Father, The Brady Bunch, The Partridge Family, That Girl. That was my favorite show as an aside here. I love That Girl. Room 222, The Mod Squad, My Three Sons from 1960 to 1965, and then they moved to CBS. And we kind of mentioned mm -hmm. that last mm -hmm. episode, we're kind of surprised how many series jump networks. Um, uh, I also looked on Ranker just to kind of see what some of the top shows of ABC um, were. And um, number 11 was The Time Tunnel, which I it only ran one season, mm -hmm. but it's number 11 on Ranker, which is really surprising. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Dave, what were you going to, you were going to tell me something about the time, the time tunnel. It was the same producer as Lost in Space, Land of the Giants. Right. Well, so Irwin Allen was really big about um, spending huge amounts of money on sets and special effects. Okay. Um, so that's probably one of the reasons why the time tunnel only lasted one season. Uh, oh. They probably didn't give him a very large budget and he probably spent the whole thing on the first season. So that that's probably why it, it went away. Oh my goodness. And some other top shows that people love on Ranker, Patty Duke show, the flying nun, Gidget voyage to the bottom of the bottom of the sea, which was, they really were clever on saving money because they used all of the movie sets 
for the movie, The Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. They just went ahead and used him for the TV show. F Troop. My husband, Craig, loves F Troop. And Mikhail's Navy. Um, The Fugitive. And The Fugitive. And I have a fun fact about The Fugitive. It was, people say, we're not sure, that it was actually based, loosely based on a, a true story. And um, there was a very, very huge murder here in Bay Village, Ohio, which is one of the little suburbs of Cleveland. And they say that Richard Kimball is loosely based on Sam Shepard from Bay Village, Hmm. Ohio. And I've driven with a friend from Bay Village, and I actually saw the place where the house was, where he supposedly murdered his wife. And it was a very huge trial here in Cuyahoga County and in Cleveland. And um, he was very unjustly, it was just a circus here and he was unjustly put away and later acquitted um of the murder so they say it was kind of based um on this on this uh, true story here okay mm. and that's well, kind of the evolution of abc through the 50s nice well i'm gonna start out with my craig's favorite shows on nbc from the 1960s so number one I Dream of Jeannie. How can you go wrong with I Dream of Jeannie? This show had it all. It had the space. It had the really, really beautiful girl. And it had the really, really beautiful girl. So all three. (laughs) (laughs) It aired from 1965 to 1970. The innocent days of old when the most sexy thing on TV was imagining Barbara Eden's belly button. That had to be covered because right. of decency standards. So, uh, you know, that that was just really something. Uh, you know the premise well. Tony Nelson, Anthony Nelson, Captain Anthony Nelson, astronaut, uh, is shot off in a rocket towards space. They have to abort the mission. He ends up parachuting onto a deserted island. And there is a bottle. And of course, when you have a bottle, you do what you do with the bottle, I guess. You brush it off and a genie comes out. He makes a wish. He thinks that he's hallucinating. He makes a wish that a helicopter would come. A helicopter comes, picks him up, and voila, he, he's taken home. However, genie, this beautiful, beautiful blonde girl, comes out of the bottle and lays one right on his lips, which is really nice. <laughs> And she decides she's going to go with him, so her bottle happens to kind of roll into his backpack or whatever it is. And the rest for the next five years is nothing but hijinks. Of course, Jeannie is madly in love with Tony, and Tony isn't interested in Jeannie, but it's this platonic relationship, and Tony's uh, astronaut buddy partner, I don't know what you call him, Roger, finds out about this in the first season, so it kind of breaks the spell that is the difference between I Dream of Genie and Bewitched. I don't think that Darren ever talks about his wife being a witch, but Roger gets in on the story. And so things start to get a little bit different in this than Bewitched. And of course, Roger, on the other hand, wants to use Genie for wealth and wealth and more wealth. And, and Tony doesn't want that. He just wants to be a good af- astronaut. Now things progress and, at the end of the series, they end up getting married. But the question remains, what is wrong with Tony Nelson? <laughs> there is this gorgeous woman who is madly in love with him and can give him anything he ever wanted. And he's dating women that are not nearly as attractive. And no. I don't get it. 
It is one of my favorite TV shows because Barbara Eden is possibly the most beautiful woman to ever live. And Dave and I are going to go uh, next to my wife, by the way. It's, it's just, yeah. No. But Dave and I are going to probably wrestle over this because I know Dave is a bewitched fan and he's right. a big Samantha guy. Right. And this, right. this is, this is up there with the debate on Gilligan's Island of Ginger or Marianne. I think also Jeannie right. or Samantha. This is one of those other big debates that guys have or at least should. Our girls. I right. I would so, agree. Uh, Dave. Anything to say about I Dream of Genie versus Bewitched? There's a, there's a lot of overlap in that whole magical kind of thing. Um, well, I think, I think the appeal for me uh, to Samantha or Elizabeth Montgomery, um, she played a character that was a little more independent and um, forward-thinking, perhaps. Yes, yes. She wasn't all about serving her master or her husband, as it were. Um, so I don't know. I I think I just found her intelligence a little little more attractive than just uh, Jeannie's beauty. Yeah, interesting <laughs> yeah, take true. on it. I, I see. Yeah. Dave with more of the psychological. Like what would it, it be like, like to like actually it. live with these people? Kind of yes. thinking. Right. right. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, that's it for me with I Dream of Jeannie. Who's next? I think I am right. Oh, yeah, if you say so. Go for it. I say so. I, I'm like, I looked at ABC and of course I picked the two most kitschy and campy shows <laughs> that ever, ever have aired on ABC, but probably have ever aired, period, okay. in ever. the history of television. Maybe. I don't know. I picked. From the Chuck Berry stations in Hollywood, California, it's The Dating Game. In 1966, there were two pioneer shows on ABC. The Dating Game, which was kind of the blind date concept. All the contestants kind of hid behind a screen. And the Newlywed Game. And it was called the Dating Newlywed Hour. I didn't even know that. It, it ran through 1973 when it was dropped. But then it was revived several times. This show continued through the 80s in different incarnations. So the Dating game was uh had a lot of longevity and it was they were both created and packaged by chuck barris and you know what i know chuck barris from the gong show yes yeah, so you guys gong remember show. chuck barris because he actually <laughs> hosted the gong show in his hat and yes he was quite something he actually wrote a memoir and in his memoir, he actually said he was some kind of CIA operative. And oh, oh it's yes, supposedly I just something it, about that. Yeah, yes. it's wild. And most <laughs> I, people I think, think it's not true. He did it's, a lot of drugs. It's I probably it's not true. Right. But <laughs> right. anyway, the f a lot of you were talking about stars, uh, Dave, appearing on The Twilight oh, yeah. Zone. There were a lot of stars that appeared on the dating game before they became famous. And in the late 60s and early 70s, we had Farrah Fawcett, Suzanne Summers, Yvonne Craig, which was, if you oh, don't yeah. know is Batgirl from Batman, Lindsay Wagner. If oh, you don't wow. know, she was the bionic woman. Leif Garrett, he was a heartthrob when I was a teen. Tom Selleck was on there. Lee Majors, Casey Kasem. Wow. Um, this is great. Groucho Marx. And, oh, no. <laughs> no, he appeared. This is interesting. He appeared with his daughter. His daughter was the bachelorette. So Groucho Marx came out with his daughter and he grilled the men Seriously? with the uh, questions. Okay. That's hilarious. Groucho wow. asked the questions. I have yet to see this. So I'm going to for sure look that one up. John Ritter, Steve Martin, Paul Lind, 
<laughs> I thought that was really Call interesting. Call in on the dating game? Yeah, wow. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Um, the two that I actually watched uh, were Michael Richards before he became Kramer. Oh. He was on in the 60s. <laughs> and it, it, watch that one if you he's have young. a chance. Yeah. But he's, you can still see that Cosmo Kramer coming right through in his shtick on the dating game. And my favorite, Andy Kaufman. And he oh, played wow. Baji Kimram, the foreigner. That's right. Oh. He did a Latka treatment on it. it oh, was, it was and hilarious. If I recommend one dating game to watch, oh, yeah. watch the one with Andy Kaufman. It is a scream. He is so funny. He plays it completely seriously. He's all in. And he pretty much plays Latka. And at the end, I mean, the wow. poor, but see, it's before people knew about him and his character. <laughs> so the poor contestant, the poor woman who's trying to ask these questions, as well as the host, are are really thrown off guard, as well as the bachelors. <laughs> and it is just, it's wonderful. It's magical. So if you do anything in the near future, watch Andy Kaufman on The Dating Game. Um, I'm going to veer <laughs> off a little bit into my serial killer um i do love uh, oh, an yes. interesting mi murder and there was a contestant named rodney alcala and he was a serial killer that appeared on the dating game what? in the midst wow. of his murder spree and surprisingly <laughs> the scary part is he won he was the one that was picked but fortunately um his date did not go out with him once i mean she picked him on camera but when she kind of got to know him off stage she had good instincts that she found him very creepy and did not end up going out with him so that woman's got some great instincts about serial her. killers need wow. love too. yes but you know <laughs> uh, the scary thing is he had already been convicted of rape Wow. Before he appeared on the show. Way so to this do the background guy, checks, folks. Uh, this wow, is the man. early 70s. They aren't doing these kind of great background checks back then. So he had already, um, and he's actually estimated to have killed 130 women. That's kind of the estimate for, so wow. he's called the dating game killer. And so that was my little rabbit trail into the creep factor of the dating game. Wow. But anyway, if you watch anything, watch michael richards and do watch andy kaufman as uh on the dating game so that, that well, hey bit of trivia about the dating game yes. for all the music lovers out there herb yes. alpert did the theme thank you for, for reminding the dating me game. yeah yes. i think it was uh spanish flea yes that sounds right yeah, yeah and yeah. if you watch it there are several herb alpert themes the bachelorette oh. thinking the oh, okay. closing there's all these little themes and they're all by tijuana brass i believe so nice so listen for that and um i i was kind of curious as to whether the contestants actually really went on the dates so mm -hmm. i found a little blurb um by somebody who was a contestant on the dating game back in the 70s 60s and he said they were recurring bachelors so nobody, very few people just appeared oh. once. He was kind of a, he'd been on maybe five or six times. And he said, you're not really um, producing answers to impress the contestant. You're really trying to come up with quips and funny things to improve impress the producers of the oh, show because there are guys who are wanting to get ahead in show business that were and he did go on one of the 
dates. He did win once and he did go on a date and basically they said, ah, all the contestants have boyfriends and girlfriends. Nobody's really looking for love. I so he didn't really interact with the poor girl at <laughs> all. And you know, they weren't really you know, but he did go to, I believe it was a trip to Europe. They did go together, but they always had a chaperone. And because of that quiz show back, that big controversy with that quiz show back in the 50s, they did not feed any of the contestants the answers. So the guys are really coming up with these goofy answers off the top of their heads. They did give the oh, girls wow. the questions on the index cards, but the guys had to come up with some goofy ones. And Steve Martin, I watched his, and he came up with some great one-liners. He's Steve Martin, so he had a, right. he had a great He's brilliant. Stick. Yes, he but was. The Andy Kaufman one is so awkward and brilliant at the same time. It, it really is worth seeing. Yes, okay. You gotta see that. Well, since, since I got a little serious earlier with uh, The Twilight <laughs> Zone, uh, I thought I might talk about a lighter, more comedic fantasy show in the CBS canon, which would be My Favorite Martian. My Favorite Martian aired on Sunday nights from 1963 to 1966 in the 7.30 to 8 o'clock time slot. And the premise of the show is that while covering the launch of the U.S. Air Force's X-15 rocket, reporter Tim O'Hara, played by Bill Bixby, Bill Bixby excuse me, um, sees a spaceship nearly collide with the rocket uh, and... O'Hara follows the spaceship's tra tra trajectory and goes to the crash site in his Triumph TR4 convertible. Nice. And he, he drives a pretty spiffy car in the, the very first episode, the very first season, I think. Um, and there he discovers the small one-man ship and its pilot, uh, a 450-year-old Martian anthropologist who looks human and speaks English and is played by Ray Walst, uh, Ralston. Now, those of us who grew up in the 80s will remember that Ray Walston was Mr. Hand in right. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> so I don't think there were any pizza delivery scenes in uh, My Favorite Martin, though. Um, but anyway, so in order to better observe humans, the, the Martian takes on the role of O'Hara's uh, live-in Uncle Martin. Uncle Martin, get it? Yes. My favorite Martian, Martian. Uncle Martin. Martin. Anyway, and his powers get them into all kinds of uh, comical situations. Now, Paul and Craig, do you remember any of the uh, abilities or Martian powers that Uncle Martin had? I remember a few. Uh, yeah. Of course, I think he had the power to uh, levitate objects and that he sort of could. thing. He oh. could. Yep. I remember one episode, he had a cold. And every time that he sneezed, <laughs> he would disappear. Oh, yes. yes I forgot. So he, he'd go invisible every time he, he would sneeze. So the, those are the two main things that I remember. Uh, he also could talk to dogs. In, right. Oh, so yeah. he oh. was telepathic and he could influence oh. minds, which included communica communicating with animals. Right. He could freeze people or things. Oh. Uh, and he could speed up people or things. Yes. That fast and, forward. Right. And uh, because he was, you know, 450 years old and very intelligent, 
he invented stuff while he was on earth like a time machine he was an inventor as well uh in our 1950s tv episode we talked about the desilu studios Mm -hmm. which were headed up by uh lucille ball and um uh my favorite martian for its first two seasons uh was produced um at the desilu uh studios So I mentioned before that a lot of famous actors appeared on The Twilight Zone. Interestingly, a whole bunch of popular 60s TV character actors appeared on My Favorite Martian, oh. such as Bernie Coppell. Where do we know Bernie from? Oh, I know, oh, I know him from Hogan's Heroes, right? I thought oh, we knew him smart. from Get, Get smart. smart, Siegfried. From oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, and The Love Boat. Well, yeah, I watched way too much TV when I was right. Well, finally paying off for the TV generation. Yes, like I said, David White. Do you guys know that name? Related to Vanna? No. (laughs) (laughs) He played Larry Tate on Bewitched. Oh, okay. okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Alan Hale Jr. You guys got to know this. Oh, that's the skipper. The skipper. Yvonne Craig. um, Paul, you already mentioned (laughs) Batgirl. And oh. then Butch Patrick. Oh, yeah. That's her, um, the Munsters. That's, that's uh, Eddie but, from Eddie, the Munsters. Yeah. yeah. So you had fantasy shows on CBS that were, you know, very serious and creepy. Yeah. But then you had the lighter side, the the funnier comedy ones like My Favorite Martian. Now, did so they, they appear cover- as themselves or are these just the actors that appeared in characters? No, I'm, they oh. just, they, okay. they played characters, characters. on okay. episodes of My Favorite Martian. Okay. I had the wrong Yvonne there. I, I, I just thought I, it would be thought, so cool uh, if Eddie Munster all of a sudden appeared. On, <laughs> I was just picturing that. That'd be neat. Very cool. I'm going to jump back in with Get Smart. One of the greatest shows ever, 1965 to 1970 on NBC. Mel Brooks, I saw an interview with him on Get Smart and the development of Get Smart. Uh And basically Mel's take on it was, I just wanted to write a show about an idiot. As basically, as Mel Brooks and Buck Henry wrote this, uh, they had a lot of fun writing Get Smart. Uh, one day Mel, Bro- Mel Brooks walks in the room. He says, rubber trash. And they, all the writers look at each other like, what? And he's like, I've got the punchline. I just don't know the joke. It's just... <laughs> so, that sounds like... Anyway, Get Smart spoofed the whole spy genre that was popular at the time. James Bond, of course, is huge in 1965. And you have uh, all the television programs like The Avengers, The Saint, The Man from UNCLE, and I Spy. Get smart. I love this. He had a license to kill with laughter. He had a license to kill. <laughs> and uh, as Buck and, and Mel wrote this, they had so much fun writing about Maxwell Smart, Agent 86 of Control, the super secret agency, vigilantly on alert against the forces of chaos. And uh, of course, they are dedicated to defeating evil. And of course, Max always has that line, if only he used his power for goodness instead of evil. Max is played by Don Adams, who won an Emmy for his role. Wow. He's a totally inept uh, secret agent. Uh, Smart was always using gadgets that were created. And of course, he could never use them properly. So he was forever just blundering everything. I think of one episode where he's at the opera and his shoe phone starts ringing. 
And of course, what do you do when your shoe phone rings? You get up and you go to the phone booth to use your shoe phone. <laughs> In his mind, he was very suave and sophisticated. He's all of everything that James Bond is in his mind, but in reality, he's just hilarious, and uh, he demoralized the whole business of espionage. The show is rife with agents who punch time clocks, dispute vacation time. Of course, like I said, all the cool gadgets, the cone of silence. Dave wanted us to do this program using the cone of silence. But the dang thing never works. It I'm... never works. <laughs> They're right. screaming at each other, and everyone else in the room and can they seem get to hear them. And lower right. And lower. Yeah. So anyway, the the cast was uh, was great. Don Adams as Maxwell Smart. Barbara Feldon as the beautiful Agent Ninety Nine. Edward Platt as the Chief. Little trivia question. Does anyone know what the chief's first name is? We never get his last name, but oh, we do get his first good name. Good question. Uh, I do not know. Oh, it's Thaddeus. Thaddeus. I had remembered that, and then I looked it up. <laughs> I was like, I was right. Bonus question, not dealing with Get Smart, but Gilligan's Island. Is anyone doing Gilligan's Island today? No. Does um, anyone know it, what... The, it's one of my shows, but, I mean, it's a CBS show, but okay. I'm not... Does anyone know what the skipper's it, no. name was? It's like a very, oh, oh shoot. This is a good trivia I, question. I a lot of people this. out there know it, I know. I did know this. I know, I want to say Grumbly. Oh, you're close. <laughs> Jonas Grumby. Jonas, Jonas Grumby. Grumby. That's it's a right. very nice. Great name. name. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. you, you expect him out hunting the white whale. Yeah, since we're on the topic of trivia, Craig, when you were a kid watching Get Smart, did, did you think, much like the man from Uncle which was the man from United Network Command for Law and Enforcement. Did you ever wonder what control and chaos stood for? Oh, they stood for something? Oh, gosh. I just um, thought it yeah. we want to have control and there's chaos. And Ah, I actually well, read about I, I that and now I can't remember. Right. Um, I thought they were acronyms like UNCLE, oh. but they don't really, I looked it up, they don't really stand for anything. Oh, okay. Ah. Okay, <laughs> good to know. Regardless, Max drives some very cool vehicles along the way. The very first episode, yeah, he's driving a Ferrari, and it, it only turns up for one episode, but that's my oh. favorite of oh, all I of them. I never knew that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't... Uh, he drives a Sunbeam, and uh, it's it's a Sunbeam Tiger, but it's not really the one with the big engine like it's portrayed. It's the one with the smaller ah. engine. He drove a Volkswagen Carmen Ghia because Volkswagen was sponsoring ah, the program for a while. Course. And then finally, he drove an Opal when Buick to took over the sponsorship. Oh. So uh, he also showed up in various pro uh, cars. Dave, you can correct me on this. Citroen. Uh, Citroen. Oh, right. Yeah, vehicle. Citroen is correct. Right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's that's it for Maxwell Smart and <laughs> Agent 99. Now, I can't remember. Did they get married at one point? Just They like, did get married, married, and okay. you still never find out what 99's name is. No. Oh, never. they don't do it, have it in the Here's vow. Here's another okay. trivia question. <laughs> what is the main cover job that Maxwell Smart has? Oh, no, I don't as, know. That he tells people that he does for a living. He's a greeting know. card salesman. I knew it was a salesman. He sells greeting cards. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> Who's up? I want to go into my second campy, crazy <laughs> pop art television show of all times. Batman. 
Now, in 1966, Ozzy and Harriet, you know, very popular show on ABC in the 50s, was replaced with Batman. Batman ran three seasons, but has over has about 120 episodes, which I oh, think wow. sounds like a lot. But that's because it was on a couple times a week. So those two parters that you see, same bat time, coming next week, same bat channel, that's because it was aired, I believe, two days in a row. Um, it is the only sitcom that did not have a laugh track. Very campy, very tongue-in-cheek. They, I was wondering why... Why this show? It was just so weird and unique. Um, when they were uh, thinking about creating a show based on the Batman comic books, um, they were kind of expecting to create a very hip and fun show um, like Man From Uncle, but a serious adventure show. And this guy, William Dozier, Dozier had never read a comic book before. And they handed this whole project off to him, off to him. And uh, when he read a couple of Batman comic books, he just said, you know what, the only way to do this would be pop art campy style. And so uh, when it aired, it was very, very popular, very successful, but with a largely teenage audience, which I didn't know. They had these like really simplistic moralities interwoven into the show, like eat your vegetables, wear a seatbelt, drink your milk, do your homework. Um, this show was very reliant on a formula. So when you think about it, this is how the show goes. Every episode, there's a phone call from the police asking for Batman's help. A dash to the bat cave, down the bat poles, as I recall. A race to the Batmobile to police headquarters. A conference with the commissioners, commissioner's office, investigating the scene of the crime, examining clues in the crime lab at the bat cave, rushing to the villain, the villain's secret hideout, and then falling into the prearranged trap. So, by relying heavily on this form formula, it became really easy to spoof various elements of that formula. You know, this I found fascinating. They used many futuristic props in that Batcave, and they would just take them from the soundstage next door, which was lost in space. So if oh. you watch Batman very carefully, you can see a bunch of lost in space props, the futuristic props from lost in space included, um, including was the, the Bat computer. And that one is just pretty obvious. It's the Lost in Spates computer. Um, we had Yvonne Craig playing Batgirl. She was only on one for one season. But when my sisters and I used to watch Batman, we'd always like cross our fingers and get all pumped up for that Batgirl mobile to come flying around at the end when they had the anim animation. And we get really excited when Batgirl was on. Um, it starred Adam West as Batman, of course, and Burt Ward as Robin, I believe, Burt Ward is still alive. So I'm going to have to kind of check on that. But I think he's the only one that's still alive. There was a lot of celebrity villains. Mm -hmm. I was kind of shocked to read how many famous people played villains on Batman. I really don't remember a lot of them. But we've got C Cesar Romero as the Joker, Burgess Meredith as the Penguin. Um, John Astin, you might remember him from, uh, from The Addams Family. Mm -hmm. uh, he played the Riddler. Catwoman was played by Julie Newmar. Lee Weather, Lee Merriweather in the movie, and Eartha Kitt. And Eartha Kitt was the second African American after Nichelle Nichols uh, played uh, Uhura on Star Trek. So she was mm. the second African American to 
play a par, um, a primetime character. Victor Bueno played King Tut. Tut. Vincent Price was Egghead. Um, Carol Jones was Marsha, Queen of the Diamonds. Cliff Robertson. I mean, he's a very famous actor. Oh. He played Shame, <laughs> which is <laughs> a takeoff on Shane. And he was a, kind of a cowboy villain. And his sidekicks were, I love Annie, instead of Annie Oakley, Oki Annie and Calamity Jan. <laughs> Anne Baxter was on it. She played Olga, Queen of the Cossacks. Milton Burl was uh, Louis the Lil Lilac. And I had uh -huh. to look one, that one up. Yeah. He was a gangster with a fondness for flowers. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have Two-Face on any of the episodes. But at one time, they were looking seriously at Clint Eastwood. He was actually, Clint Eastwood was slated to play the role of Two-Face. But the... Um, Batman didn't continue. So three seasons of this this campy wow. pop art form. And well, my my other favorite way, Paula, of them introducing celebrities of the day or famous actors of the day, when they would remember when they would scale a building, you know, they'd use that yes. rope. Oh, yeah. yes. Scale a building and someone would always open a window. Right. And pop their head out to see what was going on. Uh -huh. And I, I remember Sammy Davis Jr. being one of them. And. <sighs> Um, yes. I think Cato and the Green Hornet were actually in one of those windows <laughs> once too. But. Yeah, I think that yeah. um, I saw on YouTube a compilation of the people. Oh, yes, I yes. will have yeah. to look that up and post it on our, our <laughs> Facebook page, along with Andy Kaufman on the dating game. You oh. know, all the juicy stuff's going to the Mid Modcast Facebook page. <laughs> nice. Well, I've lost track. Who's up? I'm out. Paul, well, I'm excited, Craig. Too. You're, you're about to talk about, I think I know what you're about to talk about. So take it away, Captain. So as you've guessed, Star Trek. This is my, my third choice here. 1966 to 1969 sci-fi series that aired on NBC. The show later acquired the retronym of Star Trek, the original series, because there have been so many spinoffs from it, uh, Deep Space Nine, so many others. And of course, they keep coming more and more all the time. This show became a cult classic in syndication during the 1970s. It did okay when it first aired, but it really picked up in reruns more and more. And uh, I remember being a little kid and watching Star Trek and I was going to be an astronaut. So this was clearly where my future was going. Star Trek broke all sorts of ethnic and social barriers of the day. Captain James T. Kirk, William Shatner, never found a woman of any race or color that he would not lay his lips on. This man was dedicated to being an equal opportunity smoocher. Red, yellow, white, orange, green, doesn't matter. They're all precious in his sight. Uh, 1966, Star Trek set out to go boldly where no series had gone before on a five-year mission that led to a franchise that would last for decades. Now the world-renowned missions of, the space, of space in the 23rd century. Captain Kirk, along with half-human, half-Vulcan science officer Spock, uh, ship Dr. Bones McCoy, Ensign Pavel Chekhov, Communications Officer Uhura, uh, Helmsman Hiraku, Sulu, uh, Chief Engineer Scotty, 
Uh, they confront all aliens and all races, and they take them on for peace and for understanding. Great, great show. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And if you are not a Star Trek fan, you don't have to go to Trekkie conventions, but you really should watch this because it is really something. And like I said, it really, really broke down those race barriers. little trivia thought here, I guess. This is the first program with an interracial kiss, kiss on it. Oh, So yes. there, there it is. Captain right Kurt, I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. As I said, he kisses everything. Yeah. So. NBC, I just want to give a couple of honorable mentions before we call it quits for today. 1968 launches Rowan and Martin's Laughing. Once again, another groundbreaking program, mostly skits and that sort of thing, created by the comedy duo of Rowan and Martin. This, as I said, is the one that revived Nixon's whole career in, in a very strange way because this was by no means something that a program that was loved by Republicans or anything like that is <laughs> really kind of hippie-ish. So Laugh-In uh, was a spinoff of the hippie culture's love-ins or even sit-ins when they were protesting. That Goldie Hawn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah she oh, was yeah. cute, too. She's awesome. So their roots of humor were vaudeville and burlesque, and, and of course, that comes through. A lot of stars came and went off of this program also. My other honorable mention is one that I loved as a kid, Flipper. Oh. It's dubbed the Aquatic Lassie. And once again, another really great feel-good television program about a dolphin who saves the day repeatedly. He seems to know who the bad guys are. Oh, and he yes. knows how to protect his people. Uh, so it's a lot like Lassie. Filmed in Florida, they still have the Flipper show that is oh. offered at, uh, where to go? Miami Seaquarium. So if you ever oh, wow. are, let's see, uh, located on Key Biscayne in Miami, uh, still presents a flipper show, a dolphin show in the lagoon that served as a film location for the show. Mm. So if you're in the area... Go see the Flipper Show. I want to. Send us some video clips or some pictures of the Flipper Show. I'd love to see love that. Yeah, I remember uh, something about Flipper. My mom gave me my first baby doll when I was about three or four years old, and I named it Larry. <laughs> because apparently Larry was one of the characters on Flipper. Oh, well, there you go. So, <laughs> there you have it. I must have loved that show. Uh, well, one last Paula, thought. For, yeah, go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. Sorry, Craig. Paula, since we're talking about... Um, flipper inspired toys i did not have when i was a kid i did not have a jack-in-the-box i had a flipper in the box no so when you turn the handle on the side oh flipper's head gosh. came out oh it was God. awesome that sounds glorious <gasps> oh i'm gonna have to look that <laughs> up that thing's probably yeah. worth some money if you had it still oh it's long gone yes. sadly. Uh, yes Paula, I just want to uh, chastise you a little bit here. You you You're didn't so give Larry. honorable mention to one of my favorites, uh, Hawaiian uh, Eye. Oh my goodness! Uh, ABC's I Hawaiian to Eye, nineteen fifty nine to sixty three. Fifty nine to sixty three. Yeah, Hawaiian a great one. Robert Conrad, Connie Stevens, oh. and of course Ponzi Ponce. Yeah. I love Ponzi Ponce. <laughs> the I, I just right? like to say Ponzi Ponce. Yes. Uh, I can't even remember his uh, his character's name, but uh, I just remember Ponzi Ponce. That's about it for me. Paula, you got something else? <laughs> yeah, before we go. Yeah. This is a tip-top, tip terrific, and splendidly prolific waltz down memory lane, people. There you go. Yes. Dave, any last thoughts? 
Uh, well, I'll say what they used to say on a lot of the 60s era TV shows. Please tune in next week. With this, we should sign off with the national anthem. <laughs> we'll see you next time. This has been a Filmways presentation, darling. <laughs> <laughs>